Well, hey, what's up, TLR family? Welcome, uh, Sam. We're here. So grateful that you're tuning in. Uh, today's gonna look a bit different than typically what we throw at you, which usually comes by way of sermons and messages. Uh, we wanted to do something a little bit different, but something that was absolutely needed, which was have a conversation. And so that's what we're doing today: is we're going to have a conversation about race and racism and what it might look like to begin to take steps as the church and as Jesus followers towards racial reconciliation. And here's my hope for today um, is that you would be challenged. I kind of also hope that you would get a little uncomfortable because whenever you're uncomfortable, that tends to create space for change, that tends to create space for a little bit of awareness. And so my hope today is that you'd be challenged, that you'd be a little uncomfortable, but that you would also be inspired. So our hope is that this conversation would be a resource to you, and we're just going to go there, and we're going to jump into some questions that maybe you've been afraid to ask, questions that you've been wondering about, but all of it towards one goal, and for all of us to learn, to grow, and to be better, and to begin to lead and be the change that our country and our church so desperately needs. And so that's what we're going to do today, is have a conversation. And this is what, our, for the month of July, we'll be diving into this very conversation here. And um, I've got some friends uh, around the table that are going to be having the conversation with me. And I'm so excited about that. Um, and rather than me introducing uh, each of you, I would love for you guys just to introduce yourselves. Uh, we'll start over here, Terrence, uh, with you. Sure, man. Uh, my name is Terrence Smith, and I am on staff at Buckhead Church. I've been there for about six, six and a half years. And uh, I'm just glad to be here. Man. Yeah, come on, I love it. Terrence, you're, you've got, you're, you're married. Yep. How many kids do you have? One. One kid. Six-year-old okay. daughter named Journey. Come on, let's go. Yeah. I love that name. I love Thank Terrence. You. Thank um, you. Terrence is one of my favorite people to be around. We met five and a half years ago, shared a hotel room at Passion, <laughs> and it's like we've been best friends for 10 years. I can't help but uh, laugh when I'm with Terrence. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. so, man, uh, I'm grateful that you're here with us. Appreciate you, brother. Thank yeah. you for having this conversation, yeah, for man. Sure. For sure, for mm. sure. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Chenwei Williams. I am a mom of three, Jalen, who's 16, Brayden, who's nine, and Noah, who just turned five. But I think why I'm here is because I'm also a licensed clinical therapist. And go. so I have a practice in Roswell, and I specialize in helping families just transition through anxiety and really tough life uh, transitions. So wow. that's kind of what's been happening lately. Yeah, we need your expertise to keep us from going off the rails here. <laughs> I'll do my best. So yeah, I just recently uh, met uh, Dr. Williams. She said I can call her Chin Wei, by yes. the way. And so, um, but we had a mutual friend and then we followed each other on Instagram and just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I'm so grateful to have your voice and, and your mind and your heart here with us today. So, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm Ken Lewis. I am uh, a father, a husband and father of five. I'm not going with ages. I know they're not. Uh, 20, 25 to 18, uh, two girls and three boys. Yeah. And uh, I'm Jamaican. I've got like 10 jobs. I uh, work in corporate America. I'm a music producer. I'm a basketball coach. Come on. Uh, landscaper. I tie shoe laces. I do, do it all. That's, that's what I do. I'm happy to be here. That's My awesome. wife's on staff yeah. uh, here as well. Uh, yeah, Ken's at our church, uh, volunteers uh, here in service program, makes our adult service happen. Uh, Ken also raps. He can flow. Uh, I love Ken. I see, get to see Ken on Sundays. Yeah, we got to go over there. We'll get there in a second. Uh, but I got to say this about Ken. Um, you're one of the most encouraging people I've ever met. I rarely leave conversations with you and don't feel better about myself. 
So wow, I hope I can be more cool. like that. One. Oh, man. That's yeah. awesome. So, thank love you, bro. Thank you for saying that. My name is Joseph Sojourner. I started my journey here at North Point Ministries, uh, was high school pastor at a church, Brownsbridge, uh, in Cumming. Uh, nowadays, I travel, I speak, and I'm creative director of Two Sins Creative Thinkers here in Atlanta. So There you go. Yeah. Um, Joe is annoying because he's one of the most talented people I have. Either he's good at everything. Speaker, okay. Oh, okay. Rap, okay. He can probably draw. I don't. He can do it. He literally can do it all. Um, and so, but, uh, but really though, man, you're so, so talented and you're so good at so many things. And uh, it's an honor to get to work with you. And thanks for being Always here. Always a privilege. Appreciate so, you. Yeah. I'm Jordan Gilbert, former Kennesaw State alum, um, former student here at TLR, yep. under Samer's leadership, uh, passionate about all things justice related. So thanks Come for on. having me. I love it. I love it. She just graduated, mm -hmm. uh, working with Must Ministries, oh, yes. major change Come in on. our community. Uh, she also interned at our church. Uh, I wish I the, the the potential you ooze with is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I wish I was driven and responsible and had it all together at your age. It's unbelievable. So uh, thank you so much for joining. We wanted to make sure that, uh, that, you know, one of our TLR family specifically was a part of this conversation too. So Jordan, thanks for, she got to work two hours early to be able to be a part of this here today. So thank you. Thank you. So we're going to jump in, um, but I, I, I don't know if I would call it necessarily the deep end. I promise you that you would be uncomfortable and I'm, I'm confident that you will be. Um, but today is not about politics. It's not about one side or the other side. It's about one thing and it's about um, humanity. And it's about our call as Jesus followers. Um, and, and, and really, I said this at the beginning, but um, I want to get to a place of empathy, which means you've got to kind of as best as possible understand where somebody else is coming from and what somebody else is experiencing. Mm -hmm. At TLR, we say this a lot, is that you can argue with a sermon. I've had plenty of students do that with <laughs> me. You can argue with theology. You can argue with rhetoric, but you can't argue with somebody's story. Yeah. You can't argue with somebody's experience. And so where I'd like to start to lead us to a place where I'm just going to suspend all judgment. I'm going to suspend my political views. I just want people to hear about your stories and your experiences. Specifically, if you would be so vulnerable and courageous with us today to share your experiences, whether it be growing up or recently or whenever, your experiences with racism. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I grew up in Ohio, and so some of y'all have already heard my story because I've shared it at North Point, but uh, where I grew up, I was the, myself and my brothers, two brothers, were the first blacks to integrate our school in mm -hmm. third grade. And wow. so it was a unique journey because I think what I learned at a young age is one loud bully can quiet an entire room. Mm -hmm. And so I saw people attempting to be my friend, but were too scared to be my friend. And so from third grade to 10th grade, I was a silent student, never spoke. I never went to a high school dance, never built up to college because uh, built up to courage, I can say, because I really went through most all of my childhood as the outsider student uh, who a lot of people looked at as it didn't make as they didn't make sense. And I didn't things didn't change until I transferred and went to a diverse school. But uh, I, I can say, because people always ask me all the time, were you angry? And I said, I wasn't angry because when I looked in the eyes of so many of uh, the white students around me, I saw that their, their hearts were broken mm -hmm. when, they would saw how, when they would see how I was being treated and bullied and things like that, but they just didn't know what to do. And so I always tell people, I think that you just need someone who's bolder than the bully uh, to activate neighborhoods or homes wow. or friends and circles. So that's and my story. I want to stay on this question, but how old are you? Uh, 38. And you and your brother... 
yeah. were the first ones to integrate yeah. your middle school, your wow. elementary school. Yep. So wow. racism is not a thing that was. Right. Right. I mean, th yeah. this just happened. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It's not like a, a history thing. It is a history thing, but it's still yeah. going on today. I mean, yeah. that's, that's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump in. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Both my parents are educators. My, my dad is a French professor. So I will say that that afforded my family some level of protection. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have overt experiences of racism. Nobody called me the N-word. Um, my father was beloved in the community. We were middle class. I think that that helps. Um, but certainly there were you know, comments made, um, stereotypes. I saw discrimination. And it really wasn't until I met my husband, um, boyfriend at the time, and he would come and visit. And I would talk about how great Charleston was, right? The seafood, it's historical, <laughs> it's like all the gardens. And he would be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the true story. And then um, he finally, you know, I had a therapist brain even back then. Um, so I finally just kind of like, you know, dug a little deeper and I was like, babe, what's going on? And he actually said, you know, I know you love Charleston. I know you have one experience, but every time I visit you, I love you. I love your family. Charleston to me feels very racist. Mm. And so I always, um, I bring this up, especially in the conversations that I'm having now, because you can have two people, same race, mm. close proximity, love each other and have two different experiences, right? And that's yeah. kind of what's happening, I think in our nation yeah. now, we love people that are black or brown, um, but we can't truly understand their experience if we haven't kind of walked a mile in their shoes. And real quickly, Samer, um, fast forward years and years later, my family and I live in Forsyth County. Please look up the Oprah show from 1987. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Joseph, you you worked in uh, at Browns Bridge. Beautiful community, we're still there mm -hmm. and, and we love it. But I've got to tell you, true story, many of our friends um, cried real tears when they found out that we were moving there because of the history that wasn't that long right. ago. 1,100 black families were um, booted mm -hmm. out of Forsyth County. Churches were burned, black businesses were looted and burned um, not that long ago. Wow. So that's, yeah, my Very experience. Yeah. Man, I can't imagine, it'd be crazy to think that there isn't remnants of yeah. any or all of that. Yeah. Wow. So I personally have been um, wrestling with with dealing with the trauma of um, some of the things that I've suppressed growing up. I'm a pretty um, glasses is always um, full, not half full, because I can put ice in it and make it <laughs> full. Um, I look on the bright side of everything, and um, I am the person that wants to make others feel comfortable in the room. Um, and you know, I've been in stores and been, you know, stopped, uh, accused of shoplifting, um, even as, as recent as, um, you know, uh, a few months ago, mm -hmm. just let me, can I see your receipt? Um, and, and, and I know it, it's a thing, you know, but when four or five others go past and they're mm -hmm. not stopped, mm -hmm. that's overt, mm -hmm. um, to the point where if I go into a store now, I want to buy something just to not walk out mm. wow. and be stopped. Wow. Um, and that, that's, that's trauma. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that's something that I, I deal with 
uh, on a daily basis, um, you know, just being in my skin. And I'm 47 years old, right. you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things. Man. Yeah. Well, I think for me, I've lived my entire life in and out of black and white culture. So like literally. So um, I'm from North Carolina and in elementary school, my, my neighborhood was predominantly black. And they ended up, the school board ended up deciding to bus our neighborhood to an all white school that was about 40 minutes out. And there, were, there was a school right in my neighborhood that was probably a 10 minute walk at, at the most. And so they decided to do this like at the very end of the previous school year. And so there were conversations about it. It was frustration around the whole idea that we had to go to another school that was 40 minutes out as opposed to going to the school up the street. What that meant for parental involvement in the PTA and a number of other things as well. And so, uh, so for elementary school, my experience was we were this black neighborhood that were part of this predominantly white school. Um, in middle school, what came back to the city where there was more of a, a predominantly black middle school with a few white students. High school was about 50-50, where it was predominantly black, uh, well, black and white kind of split really down the middle. And then I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which had a really strong uh, black community, but it was in the context of a, a predominantly white institution. And so I've lived my life primarily in and out of these cultures uh, pretty much as long as I can remember. My first experience of racism, where it was, I mean, pretty much in my face, it happened when I was seven, so um, which was second grade for me. And so having gone from our neighborhood to this particular school, one day I was uh, trying to get water and there was a kid that came up to me and told me that I need to go and find my water fountain because that water fountain wasn't for me. And so, uh, at the time, I wasn't really sure, you know, where that came from or why that was wrong, but I knew it was wrong. And so we had an altercation that ultimately landed us in the principal's office and there was conversations had about it. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what happened to him, but I remember that feeling. And I remember having to have a conversation with my parents about what had happened and how it developed. And, and that kind of, at that moment, it opened my eyes to the reality that now nah, there really is a problem. Like there really is a, a, an issue in society. And it's not anything that I have, like, it's not me. I don't have a, an issue with that particular type of people, but it seems to be there's an issue with, with my type or who I am on the color of my skin. So that was my first uh, incident that I can remember uh, dealing with race. And it, it, it must have stuck out because that was yeah. a long time ago. Seven years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damn. yeah. Yeah, to piggyback off of that, um, Kind of like you said, going in and out of different spaces, predominantly black elementary school for from kindergarten to third grade, third grade, we moved to Snellville um, and then jumped right into a predominantly white space. Um, didn't experience anything that was overtly racist until actually I came to college. Wow. Um, one night, a friend and I were leaving from the living room. Um, we were up in Ackworth and she had a headlight out. So she turned on her high beams because we need to still see where we're going. And we got pulled over and the cops said, hey, you know, you can't drive with that on. Um, and then he started asking more questions. 
why are you guys out so late? Mm-hmm. Um, what church is open past nine o'clock? Mm-hmm. Um, are you sure you were at a church? What church was this? Mm-hmm. All those questions, um, putting flashlights into you know the back of the car and asking more questions, digging deeper um, until they ran both of our licenses and realized like, you know, we're not criminals. We're just students mm-hmm. uh, leaving from church and then mm-hmm. um, had a few more experiences after that. But that's what really started um, all of it for me. Mm-hmm. Coming home from church. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, when, what is that? And anyone can jump in here. Mm-hmm. How does it make you feel? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll be watching. Okay, yeah, I've heard, I've heard stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. forget. How does it make you as a human? Mm-hmm. What's running through your mind and through your heart? What emotions are you feeling? Or even now, as you think back on it, mm-hmm. I can't use the word trauma. I'll yeah. To our professional therapist here in just a yeah. second. Um, but mm-hmm. what, what does that make you guys feel in those moments, even as you think back to it now? Mm-hmm. Well, I know for me, I, I don't feel freedom. Mm-hmm. I don't feel free at all, um, because of you know, that some of the pain and the trauma and the mm-hmm. things that I have to, that go through my mind in, in certain, and it, it's in the background. Mm-hmm. It's not even something that's a forethought. It's, it's told, it's just there. And it's like a, a monkey on my back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I'm just out and about, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I, you know, I lead a family, I, you know, I'm a responsible mm-hmm. adult, you know, I shouldn't have to think about these yeah. things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pay my bills. You know, or, or whatever. If yeah, I sure. buy something, I'm gonna buy it. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's it's bondage. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, just listening to you, I felt like tearing up, mm-hmm. yeah. and I almost feel the sadness. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really what's uh, palatable for so many Black people right now is a loss of freedom. You don't feel human. So when people talk about you know losing humanity, when you see all of the negative, violent images. Um, it's so true. And so again, I live in Forsyth. My experience is different from my husband's experience, but I certainly, as I grew older, experienced racism. And so what happens now is we walk into restaurants. I see my husband, a grown man in his 40s, tense up. Wow. Still, I mean, we're there, right? So yeah. nothing has happened. We're raising kids there now. Um, but I then feel the stress coming from him. And he is eyeing the parking lot. He is eyeing what uh, news station is playing on the television screen. Yeah. Um, he's paying attention to the way that people greet us. And I actually don't have that heightened level yeah. of um, stress because I'm not assuming that people are automatically going to uh, mistreat me because of the color of my skin. I'm wondering, but it's not automatic for my husband. It's automatic. Wow. Yeah. And it impacts where we eat for dinner yeah. every weekend. I think I, I identify with your husband. I think I'm in spaces and, and Ken, you know, you spoke about the, this freedom thing. Like thinking about when I first, I'm from North Carolina. And when I first moved to Atlanta, I remember learning very early on that there is Atlanta and then there's everywhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like, all right, listen, you need to know that Atlanta is Atlanta. Yeah. But once you start getting outside of Atlanta and it starts getting a little dark, you got to pay attention to that mm-hmm. and maybe not be in those areas because you are subject to have yourself in a situation where you may not even come home alive. 
So I think it is, it is that freedom. It is that heightened sense of awareness. It is, I always know where every exit is, mm-hmm. wherever I go. I always know, uh, I'm like you, it, the moment I see a cop car, there's, there's an anxiety that rises mm-hmm. up in me, yeah. no matter if I'm, I'm driving the speed limit at 10 and two, right. you know what I'm saying? Like there's no matter what, I could be doing nothing wrong, but the moment I see it, there's this, this tension that just rises and it, and I believe for so long what has happened is, and, I, and I've been thinking about this lately because of all the stuff that has kind of unfolded in our country. Like I have compartmentalized all this stuff <laughs> because you almost have to yeah, in order yeah, to, to survive and to, yep. to push through and to continue about your day-to-day life and be a productive citizen and be a great husband, a great father. And, and, and so you, you have to do, uh, you put all these in boxes. Yeah. And for me, what has happened over the last just month and a half or so, it's like all this stuff is starting to kind of unravel and, you find yourself in spaces where like your emotions are all over the place. It's like one day you, you're, you're sad and you're exhausted and you're crying. And then there's this rage that kicks in as well. And it's like all of these emotions are now coming to a head for me from stuff that started when I was seven. Yeah, right. And it's like, my God. I, so I think it's right. It's that, that freedom. It's that anxiety that comes with being black in America where you really are never as free as you think you should be. Um, and, and again, like you said, Ken, it doesn't, it's not something that, you know, we're necessarily taught in terms of textbook, but we're taught in terms of this has been your experience. So you've learned from this experience to not do that again. It's almost yeah. like touching a hot iron. Yeah. Oh, it's like, wow. don't touch that iron. It's like muscle memory. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. That's yeah. It. What wow. he's saying is, I mean, I think there's, there's the American journey. There's the black American journey. This is the first time that I feel like so many of my friends are saying we, we want to understand. And I think mm-hmm. every human wants to be understood. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this whole journey is like, is like a little kid telling their parent, uh, something bad is happening to me from someone. And yes. the parent mm-hmm. saying, you're lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the kid comes home again and says, something bad is happening to me. And the parent just says, it's, it's, it's of no relevance to me. Mm-hmm. And we cringe when we hear it, but that's essentially what the Black experience has been like. You'll say something bad is happening to me. And you got a lot of your peers saying, we just don't believe it. And this is the one moment mm-hmm. where you're mm-hmm. saying, where they are saying to me, hey, take me to what's what's yes. been so bad. And yes. we yeah. want to understand you in a deeper way, in a more real way so that we can understand your human experience. Wow. When I was traveling in Australia and I got uh, I got over there, I remember there were some Aussies that said, are all Americans like the Kardashians? Mm. Wow. And we laugh because we think, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, but why do we laugh? Because we say, oh, you don't understand what um, right. like the American journey is like. Yeah. It is not the Kardashians. The wow. Kardashians are the Kardashians. Well, it's the same way when right. it comes to black Americans. Yeah. We're saying, right. hey, we have this journey and it is not like what a lot of people perceive it to be. So I think this is the first time we have a generation uh, and a time where so many people are saying, the world is saying, mm-hmm. we want to understand your story. Right. And I think it, there, is a, uh, there is a beautiful sense of, of love when, you're, when people are slowing down enough to say, I want to understand you. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. without it, you're left with all those conflicted emotions. Wow. And yeah. misunderstood, really just dismissed. Yeah. And you're like, will I ever matter? Right. Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. And what's so helpful for this is, you know, it seemed to be that there was, it happened right in the middle of quarantine. It was Ahmaud Arbery mm-hmm. was murdered and then the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, oh, well, you know, it, it's almost like it, it's kind of a short-sighted view of the issues. Like, oh, why did the George Floyd murder make where, where you guys are like, no, no, this is stuff we've been dealing with our entire lives. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And finally, it came to a point where mm-hmm. this can't this can't happen anymore. Yeah. I think that's one thing that if you're not black, yeah. 
You, you don't, you'll never be able to understand it. No, no, no. This is not just because of George. That's a, that, that murder, but you don't understand. This is a, my lifetime. Right. Of, yeah. You know, like no one will ever be able to, to feel that yeah. if you're right. black. It's right. not an right. isolated event. It's not, yeah. yeah, it's not, you can compartmentalize right. so you can function. Right. But we have to understand that that happened when you were seven. Yeah. That yeah. happened when you left church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You aren't comfortable. You don't feel free when you leave your house. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes. Um, I just think that's so helpful. It's just, we've got to wake up to that reality. I, think, yeah. I, I agree 100%. And I think it's important to um, just say off the top that people are now wanting to understand the experience. Mm -hmm. sure. and, and yeah. you, but we have to be heard. Mm -hmm. These stories have to be heard. So that's why I salute you, Samer, for having this conversation today. Mm -hmm. Because what we're all talking about collectively is trauma. Mm -hmm. We're talking about psychological trauma. And that is the conversation that I'm having now with groups and organizations. If you think about PTSD, for the most part, most of us envision combat veterans, mm -hmm. right? Coming back from war. When we think about PTSD, sometimes we think about child abuse, severe, severe child abuse. But according to the literature, that is what black people in this country and globally are experiencing when it comes wow. to racism. Racism can cause psychological trauma. So that's why these experiences stand out, especially when they're early, when they're school-based, when you really just want to be accepted for who you are and you feel this rejection for no other reason other than the color of your skin. One time, fine. Two times, fine. But when you live with chronic stress, mm. not feeling safe in otherwise environments where you would normally feel yeah. safe, yeah. that really does leave a psychological impact. It feels like grief. Wow. It feels like depression. It feels like um, you can't eat, you can't mm -hmm. sleep, you can't concentrate. Mm -hmm. And so you're forced to compartmentalize because how else do you move through life, mm, but it right. leaves yeah. an imprint. And that's really what I want my white brothers and sisters, yeah. my organizations, my faith groups, the corporate folks that are now asking the question and wanting yeah. to be a part of this conversation. You have to understand the black experience on a day-to-day -day level. And you have to say, oh, this is like coming back from war because mm -hmm. that's what the research shows. Wow. I've, I've never thought about, I mean, I, I feel so dumb that it affects your mental health, yeah. your mental state. That's, um, yeah. yeah. I think, it, and the thing is, I think as a, as a people overall, when, I, when I'm talking about, of course, nothing is done on an umbrella or, you know, nothing is all right. or nothing. Okay. But I think for the most part, what you see, and I think it's a testament to the strength and the will of just black people in general. Mm -hmm. the resilience yeah. like yeah. The, i mean honestly the things that we've gone through as a people should have broken us mm -hmm. like you're talking about not being considered a whole person like there having to be a compromise where you are considered three-fifths of and a person a compromise, a compromise. Let's, yeah. okay let's make a deal yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. so like when, when you talk about that and you talk about the slavery and you talk about how families were torn apart literally where, you know, the dad may end up somewhere else and the mom is here and, and the kids are. So it's like all these things are, are being given the scraps from the pig or the scraps from whatever to eat. And what's been beautiful about that is 
that experience didn't necessarily break us. There's definitely ramifications from it, but it didn't break us. And what we've traditionally done is taken those scraps and made something beautiful of it. That's how I think you get things like soul food. You get things like jazz. You get things like hip hop. You get all of all the things that poetry, all the things that have have kind of poured into that space and and, and all the, the issues and the trauma. The, the amazing thing is, is that we are not broken as a people. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the things that is most fascinating. I think understanding that, and I think if, if, if mainstream society loved and appreciated black people the way that we appreciate black culture, mm. I think it would be wow. a game changer. Right there. Wow. Yep. Great. Right there. Wow. How does that make yeah. you, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> nah, you know, race, it's simple. Racism is not, it's not a partisan issue. And I, as I, as I hear conversations and I see posts and I, talk to people, it tends to turn into that. Mm-hmm. But it's an issue of morality. Yeah. yeah. You know, either yeah. either it's it, it, it's it's okay or it's not. You know, and I've it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Know? It's yeah. happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man, I mean is what it is. for anyone that doesn't think it's real, you're you're just not looking. Yeah. Or you don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. And Terrence, that the the culture we who, you know, black culture, you love black culture, yeah. but you're not anti-racist. You're not, or, or you mm-hmm. might be racist. It's just, it's unbelievable right. to think about. I hope y'all wrote that down. Well, I mean, it was, <laughs> I, I, I love Mexican culture. And I remember yeah. I was convicted when I heard that a long time ago. Yeah. And I said, I don't have any Mexican people that mm-hmm. I'm doing life with on yeah. a consistent wow. basis. Yeah. And I remember I began to actively pursue to find new friends. Mm-hmm. And now it's so, I have such a more intimate uh, yes. respect and love mm-hmm. for like what they go through wow. in their journey. Right. Yeah. But it was, it was me coming to that realization. Yeah. I said, man, I'm loving this culture. I'm loving, yeah. I'm loving a lot of what it brings me and the joy it brings and the food and, and the sports <laughs> and all of yeah. it. But I said, but I don't know the people enough. Yeah. And yeah. so when I got a chance to do life with the people, everything uh, became much more colorful. Mm-hmm. I was able to appreciate everything in a much deeper way, and I was able to feel their pain in yes. areas that I yeah. never wow. could feel before. Yeah. yeah. Man, so you weren't just in close proximity with someone. You were rubbing up against them, doing life right. with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Jordan's good. Yes. <laughs> yep. yes. I'm serious. Yeah. Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they heard so, you. Uh, you're not just in close proximity to someone, you're rubbing up against them, doing life with them, walking with them um, in the moments, in the thick of it, when mm. things are happening. Wow. Carrying burdens, yeah. crying, yeah. laughing, yeah, sitting around a table, you know, yeah. having dinner. Yes. 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 Gives you an authentic perspective. Yes. Right. yes. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's so good. I've got a black friend. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. But- yeah. Have you proximity been to okay. his house. Because yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, right? Yeah. Otherwise, I would say that yeah. that's cultural appropriation, which oh, we don't always yes. think of it uh, that way. I like Mexican food. I like, you know, Ethiopian yeah. food. But if you don't know the people that make the food, oh, wow. <laughs> then that is just, you know, it's superficial. It's an appropriation wow. of the culture as opposed to really embracing the culture. Wow. Man, you're just taking what you like from it. Man, that's <laughs> yeah. oh, so good. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. Just by way of reminder, we actually broke this conversation up into four parts. You just watched part one and you can be on the lookout for part two later this week.